This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 1st, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. President Bush and his agents are beating the drum for broader authority to conduct surveillance without judicial oversight. They want a renewed Protect America Act. But the scenarios of American counterterrorism operating without these expanded powers, just how realistic are they? Tim Lee, an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, says the rush to expand federal authority in this arena is considerably overblown. This week, Attorney General McCasey testified before Congress, quote, the clock is ticking on critical national security authorities, the Protect America Act, which gave the government new authorities to conduct surveillance of foreign intelligence targets overseas will soon sunset. I urge you to pass legislation ensuring that our intelligence community retains the tools it needs to protect the country. It must be legislation that enables our intelligence professionals to surveil targets overseas without individual court orders, and it must provide retroactive liability protection for companies who are believed to have helped our country in the wake of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. The Senate Intelligence Committee's bipartisan bill is not perfect, but it is a fundamentally sound proposal that would put critical surveillance authorities on a long-term institutional footing and would help ensure that we continue to obtain assistance from third parties that is vital to our national security efforts. I hope Congress will act quickly to pass the legislation our nation needs to modernize our national security surveillance laws. First of all, what is the Protect America Act and why is Mukasey so uh, pushing so hard to make sure that its provisions do not sunset? Well, the Protect America Act is legislation that Congress passed last August in, in kind of a big hurry. The, um, the administration brought the legislation up about a week before Congress went in its August recess and hinted more or less that if, if you don't pass this before you go on resource, recess, we won't be able to stop the terrorists. And so Congress, um, in sort of a panic, um, passed this legislation. I think it was something like 48 hours between the, the House and Senate passing it. And... Um, and what the Protect America Act did is it effectively removed meaningful judicial oversight from any um, executive branch surveillance of foreign to domestic traffic. So if I've got, say, my brother is visiting um, Great Britain um, and I make a phone call to him under, the, under FISA, uh, the intelligence community, the NSA would have needed a warrant in order to intercept my calls to overseas uh, targets. Under the Protect America Act, um, the administration can um, issue its own sort of authorization to do that, and it never has to talk to a court in order to get that permission. Okay, the Protect America Act states that the Director of National Intelligence and the Attorney General may, for periods of up to one year, authorize the acquisition of foreign intelligence information. The authorization is not required to identify specific facilities, places, premises, or property at which the acquisition of acquisition of foreign intelligence information will be directed. To what extent does that refer to domestic locales? Well, it's not clear. I mean, one, one thing that we should say from the outset is that FISA does not and never has governed uh, foreign surveillance in the sense that if, um, say, the U.S. Army wants to bug all the cell phone towers in Iraq, FISA has absolutely nothing to say to that. And in fact, even if those um, wiretaps intercept calls from Americans to somebody in Iraq, FISA still doesn't govern it. It strictly governs um, surveillance or wiretaps that are installed on U.S. soil. Those provisions you just quoted, it's, it's not clear exactly um, how broad those authorizations can be, but it, it sounds like what it authorizes is that the, the Director of National Intelligence 
can authorize an entire surveillance program such as the um, warrantless wireless tapping program that is currently before some federal courts um, where it's not just a particular investigation or a particular target, but you know an entire program of, of you know eavesdropping thousands or millions of people can be authorized with a single um, stroke of the pen. Well, how legitimate in your mind is the criticism that this is a bureaucratic nightmare for the agencies involved to attempt to get these warrants? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it has very much merit. I mean, the, the you know the privacy rights do cost something. I mean, we have. Um, we have warrants for a reason, and um, it's it's important to have some judicial art oversight to ensure that um, surveillance is limited to you know actual spies and terrorists and criminals as opposed to just going on fishing ex- ex- uh, expeditions or um, you know spying on political dissidents or or whatever. Um, the FISA legislation itself is really pretty permissive. Um, it has a, an emergency warrant provision where the, the government can begin a wiretap immediately and then um, go back to the FISA court within um, 72 hours, I believe the figure is, and get a, um, a warrant after the fact. Um, and in the first uh, 25 or so years that FISA existed, up until 2003, the FISA court had never refused to give, um, to authorize a wiretap. So it's not like the FISA court was... Um, you know, getting in the administration's way left and right. It was very uh, permissive, and it gave the administration a lot of flexibility. What were the reasons for them denying wiretaps more recently? Um, Well, there was was a ruling. I mean, part of the problem is that that all these rulings are secret, so we don't know very much about exactly what happens. But apparently there was a ruling in early 2007 that held that um, if if you have a a communication that goes from one foreign party to another, but the communication passes through the United States, that you need a warrant in order to intercept that call while it's in the United States. And um, pretty much everybody in the debate agrees that that's something that should change, and the House Democrats uh, passed legislation to do that back in November, um, but the president has vetoed it because he wants to, to have a much broader legislation that gives um, much more power than, than that. What has sort of grabbed headlines but is, I suppose, a smaller part of the debate is the issue of retroactive immunity for telecoms that have assisted the U.S. government by providing information on exactly what? Well, the, the FISA is very explicit that um, if the you know, federal government requests a domestic telephone company or other communications provider to provide information about somebody in the United States, that um, they have to get a warrant of some kind, either a FISA warrant or a traditional warrant, and that anybody who, and any company that that uh, participates in a warrantless surveillance program is that that's against the law and that they're subject to certain penalties. And um, AT&T and Verizon are now facing lawsuits from customers who said, hey, you know, under the law, this is illegal. There's some evidence that you have been participating in these programs. And um, and so the, the White House, which, you know, initiated these programs, wants to make sure those companies don't face any liability. Um, the, the real problem with this is that this is really one of the few safeguards we have to ensure that the laws Congress passes actually get followed. Because if you give companies blanket immunity from you know, participating in these programs, then the next time um, the president comes to a company and says, we'd like you to you know, break the law and participate in this program, they'll shrug and say, well, you know, if, if we get caught, we'll just go back to Congress and, and get immunity again. Um, it's important if, if we want 
companies to follow the law in the future, it's important that the law be applied when it's broken in the past. Now, the House and Senate have approved an extension of the Protect America Act through mid-February, but the authorizations that have been created since August of 2007, those do not sunset with the uh, end of the Protect America Act in mid-February, right? Yeah, that's that's an excellent point and something that, that a lot of people have been missing. Um, Representative Rush Holt, who's a Democrat from New Jersey, has been one of the real leaders on this, and this is something he's pointed out. Um, that's exactly right. The um, These broad authorizations that can be for an entire surveillance program um, do not sunset when the Protect America itself sunsets. It, as you said, they go for a whole year, which means that nothing really catastrophic would happen if, if the Protect America Act were allowed to, to lapse. Um, these programs would go on, um, continue to go on, and as I've discussed, um, even if there's some um, surveillance that's not covered by one of those authorizations, the FISA process still gives um, plenty of opportunity to um, engage in surveillance, including these emergency surveillance where they, could, um, they can start the surveillance first and get the warrant afterwards. So there just isn't any reason to think that anything bad would happen if the Protect America Act were to sunset. Tim Lee is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can read more on civil liberties in an age of terrorism at our website, cato.org.